And I praise you for that. Father, today I pray you would speak to our hearts through your word. You would clear my mind, give me what I need to say, and the strength to say it, and the courage. In Christ's name, amen. Folks, take your Bibles, find Genesis chapter 2 this morning. You say, what about Ecclesiastes? It's still there, we'll get back to it next week, okay? We're going to go a little different direction this morning. We've been going through the book of Genesis on Wednesday nights, and we hadn't reached this part yet. Mostly because your pastor spent way too much time in verse 1 of chapter 1 of Genesis, I guess. But we haven't reached chapter 2 yet, but we're going to very soon. I'm kind of jumping ahead this morning. I want to use verses 1 through 3. And I want to preach a message since this is Labor Day weekend. I want to talk about labor a little bit this morning. I want to preach a message entitled, Take a Break. So look at Genesis chapter 2. Let's start reading in verse 1 says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended His work which He had made, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work which He had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it He had rested from all His work which God created and made. Let me ask a couple of questions, a few questions this morning. One, uh, do you ever get tired? Do you ever feel tense? Do you ever feel like your nerves are on the, they're just ragged, uh, ragged edge, that you just, you're, you're just about to lose it all? Anybody else ever been there? Amen. Oh, so, yeah, thank you, Brother Ald. He said amen, I could hear him. Some of y'all kind of shake your head. Let me, let me clue you in on a secret. Every person listening to my voice, you have been at that place, or you're just not old enough, you hadn't lived long enough, but eventually you're going to be at that place. I mean, there are times, folks, when we feel like we are tight and taut and, and we just need a break. You know, it reminds me of a story, it's a kid's story, of course, but I thought it was humorous, it was cute. You know, sometimes we get like that Egyptian mummy. He went into a restaurant and the waiter said, sir, can I get you something to drink? He said, no. He said, I don't want anything to drink. I just, I just came in here because I needed to unwind. <laughs> well, some of y'all caught that, okay. But sometimes life is like that, isn't it? We just need to unwind. So, take a break. Now, I want to ask you this question. In your opinion, would you consider yourself to be a workaholic? Very few people are actually honest enough to say, yeah, I'm a workaholic. Well, here's a little quiz to help you out on that. Do you get more excited about your work than about family or anything else? Are there times when you can charge through work other times you can't seem to get anything done? Uh, do you work, take work home with you on weekends, or do you take work when you go on vacations? Uh, is work the activity you most enjoy and talk about the most? Do you work more than 40 hours a week? Are you the type of person that tries to turn your hobby into a money-making venture? Uh, do you take uh, complete responsibility for the outcome of your work? Have your family and friends stopped expecting you to show up on time when you know, you're supposed to be there, but they know, no, they're not going to be here at that time. Do you take on extra work because you're concerned it won't get done? Otherwise, it won't get done unless you do it. Uh, do you believe it's okay to work long hours as long as you do what you love? Do you get impatient with people who have priorities other than work? <clears throat> uh, do you get irritated when people ask you to stop working to do something else? Have your long work hours, have it hurt your, hurt your family or other relationships? Do you work or read during mealtimes? Do you believe that more money will solve your problems? 
Now friend, let me, let me say something to you. If you answered yes to any or maybe many of these questions, then you probably need to take a break. You need a break. Now, before we go any further, I want to pump the brakes and back up a little bit because I want to clarify something. Folks, I am not in no way saying that work is wrong. There's nothing wrong with work. In this message this morning, we're going to deal with the value and the virtue of work. But you know what? Too much of a good thing can turn a good thing into a bad thing. I mean, we've all probably heard the saying or something along uh, the lines of this, I'd rather burn out than rust out. Well, folks, listen to me. If that's the only option, so would I. But thank God, that's not the only option. There's a third option. And I'm telling you, I would rather last out than burn out. And what we're going to see today is that God's not only a God of labor, but He's a God, not just a God of work, He's a God of laughter. He's a God of leisure. And you're going to discover that God not only has designed your body for physical rest, but God has designed your soul for spiritual rest. So the first thing that I want to call your attention to, that I want to bring up this morning, <clears throat> number one, I want to talk to you about the labor that deserves rest. Now you need to remember, folks, when the Bible was originally written, there were no chapter or verse divisions in Scripture. And I personally believe that chapter 1 really needs to stop after verse 3 of chapter 2. That it all goes together. Because it tells us that as soon as God finished His work of creation, that He rested. But He did not rest until He finished His work. Now look at verse 1 again of Genesis 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. God worked for six days, rested on the seventh day. Now I want you to understand, that is not by accident that God worked or that God rested. God made these two principles important. They're part of the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 9. God says, Six days you shall work and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son nor your daughter nor your manservant nor your maidservant nor your cattle nor your stranger that is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now there are actually two principles, folks, that are given here. There's the principle of labor, then there's also the principle of leisure. And God makes it plain that we are to work. Got yeah, one person say, man, I think that's part of the problem in America today. You say, well, you're a preacher talking about work. You don't know anything about work. You don't know me very well. Ask my family. Let, let, me, let me say this again, folks. God makes it plain we're supposed to work. And God Himself set the example of work. And let me say this. If, if God's not too good to work, then I promise you, neither you or me. If God set the example, we need to follow that example. You know, sometimes people, they get to thinking that work was part of the curse uh, when Adam fell and sinned against God in the garden. Understand something, work was not part of the curse, folks. From the very moment that Adam was created, God created man to work. Say, so why do you say that? Because I'm repeating the Bible. Look at verse 15 of chapter 2. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Notice that word dress. That word dress in the Hebrew means to work it. And that word keep it in the Hebrew means to take care of. So listen to me. When God put Adam in the Garden of Eden, Eden, He immediately gave him a job and his job was to take care of that garden. 
In fact, let me say this. Do you realize nowhere in the Bible are we ever told to quit working? Nowhere. Matter of fact, nowhere in the Bible do we find that you're supposed to retire. You say, well, wait a minute, preacher. You, you, you're getting way off center on this. Listen, folks, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with retiring from a paying job. Follow me on this. You retire from a secular job, from a paying job, that just gives you more time to work for God. Amen? And, and folks, reality, there shouldn't be any such thing as a truly retired Christian. Let me share something with you. I was reading a while ago, uh, sometime back, about that great Methodist preacher, John Wesley. And what an amazing guy. Do you realize that he traveled 250,000 miles on horseback? Averaging 20 miles a day. He preached for 40 years doing that. He preached over 40,000 sermons. He wrote over 400 books. He taught himself 10 different languages. And at 83 years old, he was annoyed and aggravated because he could not see well enough to read and write for 12 hours a day. At 86 years old, he was annoyed and he complained because he could only preach two sermons a day. And then in his diary, in his late 80s, he wrote about how he was so disgusted with himself because of the tendency of late he had developed to lay in bed till 5.30 in the morning. Talk about a work ethic. That man had one. Amen? You know what, folks? Years ago, there was a book written back in the early 90s it was written by uh, Chuck Colson and, and Jack Eckert. Now, you remember who Chuck Colson was. He worked for the Nixon administration, which that was a low point. After he became a Christian, he started prison fellowship ministries. And then Jack Eckert was the man who actually, he was a Christian man, who actually founded, years ago, Eckert Drugstores. Well, they got together and they wrote a book, and this was the title of it, Why America Doesn't Work. And the thesis of that entire book was the reason America doesn't work is because we have been and we are raising a generation of Americans that think work is a dirty word. Well, listen to me. God said, again, Exodus chapter 20, verse 9, Six days thou shalt labor. Now, sometimes we get the, the, this romantic idea, this notion that it would be wonderful to be financially independent and not have to work. I'm going to tell you something. If you did not have to work, you didn't have something to do, you'd be bored to tears. And not only would you be bored to tears, but it could be dangerous. I remember this little poem. I wish I were a fish in a way, because all they do is swim and play. No work to do, no bills to pay. But now that I think of it, I did have trout for dinner today. It could be dangerous. The Bible is very succinct. It's very straightforward. Very simple about this matter of work, folks. And some of you, you're going to say, I can't believe preacher said that. I'm just being biblical. I want you to listen to me. The Scripture says, you heard me preach on this, that people who will not work, they don't even deserve to live. You say, oh, I can't believe you say that. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 10. The Apostle Paul is reminding the church at Thessalonica of a command that he gave them. He said, for even when we were with you, we commanded you this. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. That's as plain as a nose on your face, is it not? I mean, if a man will not work, he should not eat. If a man is hungry because he will not work, he deserves to starve to death. You say, oh, that's cold, that's mean. That's biblical, friend. 
And listen to me. It's also, it's not always bad for a person to be hungry. Let me share a verse with you. Solomon said in Proverbs 16, 26, the person who labors, labors for himself for his hunger drives him on. Let me read you this out of the Living Bible. It makes it even plainer. It said, hunger is good if it makes you work to satisfy it. Now the scripture, folks, it's not talking about, and let's, let's clarify, it's not talking about people who cannot work. Now if you want to study this on your own, if you'll notice in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, it says people who will not work. Now friend, there's a great big difference between will not and cannot. Big difference. You know, we have people come to the church office all the time looking for help. And we help as many people as we can. But there are sometimes people come in, I will not help. He says, I can't believe you'd be so cruel. I'm just being biblical. Are you sick? Are you injured? Are you, you know, what, what's going on? I just don't want to work. There's a door, don't let it hit you in the backside on the way out. God ordained work for us. Work's not a bad word. And while I'm on this point, I'm going to go ahead and say, I may make some people's head explode uh, with this, but truth is truth. I want you to listen to me. Our nation, folks, and I'm not being political, I'm just being honest. I'm just being an honest, biblical Baptist preacher. So listen up here. Our nation is being economically ruined because of a welfare state that's subsidizing people who can work, but they refuse to work. I mean, they're subsidizing these people by taking money out of the pocket of people who do work. Well, let me tell you in my oversimplified mind, folks, let me give you some news. You cannot multiply wealth by dividing it. It doesn't work that way. And you cannot, listen to me, you cannot expect to have a government that is a Robin Hood that steals from people who do work to give to those who do not work. Again, I realize I'm simple-minded. I've been told that a time or two. And I oversimplify things. But here's the way I see it. If you abuse and take advantage of that goose that lays the golden egg, you know what you're going to have pretty soon? A dead goose and no eggs. Well, that's where we're headed at. In America today, there are those who spew this political philosophy that the bigger the government is, the better it will be. <laughs> Say, now you're getting political. No. I'm not telling you who to vote for. You know, I'll tell you who I voted for if you want to know. You probably guess. But I'm not telling you who to vote for. I'm not trying to be political. I'm trying to be honest. There are people that tell you it's the government's job to make sure that everybody has a car, that everybody has a, a chicken or a turkey or whatever in their oven, that everybody has a flat screen TV on the wall, and everybody has a cell phone in the hand. Let me tell you what the government's job is. It is to protect its citizens and provide for the common defense. Not give people everything they want and think they deserve. Now I want to make it plain. Let me back up and say it again. We ought to help the poor. We ought to help those who are truly in need. We ought to help those who cannot help themselves. But I want to remind you of one thing and warn you of something else. Number one, let me remind you of this. Anything the government gives to someone, they must first take from somebody else. That's one. And then secondly, folks, anytime somebody gets something they didn't work for, then somebody who worked for it didn't get what they worked for. I think uh, our uh, former president, Gerald Ford, actually said this the best. He said, any government big enough to give you everything you want is big enough to take away everything you have. Listen to me, folks. Those who can work, 
should work. And they should help those who cannot work. But everyone who can work should work and should not be helped if they won't work. Workers should never subsidize shirkers. If somebody can work, they ought to work. So here's the principle. All right, If you're taking notes, write it down. Before we rest, we must work. The only thing that deserves leisure is labor. Now let's go to the second point. There's the labor that deserves rest, but now I want you to see, secondly, the Lord that demonstrates rest. At the same time, folks, that God uh, was setting the example of labor, He also set the example of rest, of leisure. Look at verse 2 of chapter 2. And on the seventh day, God ended His work which He had made, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work which He had made. The first time ever recorded that anybody took a rest, it was when God rested on the seventh day. Now, why did God rest? Now, I think we know why God did not rest. Number one, God did not rest because He got tired. I mean, the Bible makes it clear, Isaiah 40, 28. It says, have you not known, have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, neither does He faint nor grow weary. Now, we know God didn't rest because He needed a nap. The Bible tells us in Psalm 121 and verse 4, Behold, he who keeps Israel neither, neither sleeps nor slumbers. Now, neither did God rest because he ran out of ideas. Friend, God is omniscient. He is omnipotent. He knows no mental or physical limitations. He could have made more worlds than what he made. He could have made infinite number of other life forms. God, he could have provided multiple millions of galaxies beyond what he did. But listen, God, the creator, was a contended creator. He said, I'm done. I'm satisfied with what I have accomplished. So he was through. Now listen to me. Uh, evidently, it's so important that there be rest that God, look at verse 3. God did something he didn't do any of the rest of the days. He blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. In other words, he said this is extremely special. It's important. The word rest that's used there, folks, that's the Hebrew word for the word cease. It gives us our English word to cease. Now, rest was like rest in music. Don't know a whole lot about music, but I know this. When instrumentalists, when they come together to play, and everybody's playing a different part, say a man's playing a horn, he comes to a part in that piece of music, there's a mark there called a rest. And so he stops playing. Does that musician stop playing because he's tired? No. He stops playing because his piece in that piece of music is completed. It's done. There's a pause there. His work is finished. So listen to me. When the Lord finished, He rested. He ceased. He relaxed. He enjoyed the fruit of His labor. The reason that God was doing that was to set aside a day for us to rest and to set an example for us to follow. You see, folks, there, there's a principle that we need to learn, and that is labor is to be followed by leisure. Write this verse down. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 14. Works to be followed by rest. The Lord made it real plain here. Deuteronomy 5, 14. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, nor you, your son, your daughter, your manservant, your maidservant, your ox, your donkey, any cattle, nor your stranger who's within your gates, that your manservant, your maidservant may rest as well as you. Now God was so serious about taking this one day out of seven in Exodus chapter 31, verse 15. He says, work shall be done for six days, but the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. 
Now, folks, our Creator, our wonderful God knows that if we're going to function at our maximum effectiveness, at our maximum, maximum capability, we must not only exercise the discipline of labor, but we also need to exercise that joy, that delight of leisure and rest. Now, the Lord has said you may work up six days a week, but one day, He says, you need to set that day aside. You need to rest and you need to focus on Me on that day. Now you realize this, folks, you can uh, not only steal the tithe from God, but you can steal time from God. I'm reminded of an old legend, a Chinese legend. There was a rich man who was a very generous man. He was at the marketplace one day, and he came across a beggar. This rich man had a string of seven coins. And so he took those coins, and he pulled six of those coins off, and he handed them to the beggar. And he put the seventh coin in his pocket. What the rich man didn't know was the beggar was also a pickpocket. So while the man giving those six coins put the seventh one in his pocket, that beggar who was a pickpocket, he took the seventh coin for himself as well. Likewise, let me say this. The Lord has graciously given us six days to work, to toil, to earn, to sweat. But when you take the seventh day and you go to the office instead of church, when you go to work instead of worship, when you serve gold instead of God, then what you're doing is you're stealing that day. You say, I don't, I don't know why you say I'm stealing it, preacher. Because you're using that day for something God never intended for it to be used for. You're stealing it. And I'll just say this while I'm here. You say, well, you would say it if everybody was here today. Oh, yeah, I would. Once again, you don't know me very well. Let me say this. If you go to the lake, the ball game, the picnic, instead of coming to church first, I believe you're stealing from the Lord. Alright, that's my opinion. You say, we just want people in church. No, I want people to be obedient to what God has said. Okay? Why do you think God wants us to rest and focus on Him one day out of seven? Let me, let me explain it to you. God made us body, soul, and spirit, and all three of those need rest. See, first off, rest replenishes the spirit. Friend, do you know that you can run down spiritually just like a battery? And I can assure you, even these diehards, like preachers, they can run down at times. That's why on the Lord's Day, you ought to come to church. You ought to fellowship with believers. You ought to study the Word of God. You ought to worship the Son of God and be filled afresh with the Spirit of God. Your spirit needs rest. needs to be revived. But also, it refreshes your soul. Do you understand, Christian, your mind needs time where it can stop. And think about those things that Paul mentions in Philippians 4.8. Think about those things which are true, which are pure, which are just, which are honorable, and which are lovely. And let me say this, your will needs a time to surrender afresh to the will of God. And your emotions need time to feel again the presence of God in your life. Your spirit needs it, folks. Your soul needs to be refreshed. But also, that day of rest, your body needs it so it can be rejuvenated. Uh, T. DeWitt Talmage, he's an old-time old Presbyterian preacher. He said our bodies are seven-day clocks, and they need to be wound up one day a week, and if they're not wound up, they'll, they'll wind down into the grave. I want you to listen to me, friend. God can do more with your body in six days than you can do in seven days. Several years ago, there was a professor in Switzerland by the name of Hagler. And this professor was a biochemist, and he runs some tests on oxygen and other nutrients in the bloodstream, in the human body. 
And he found out that a day of hard physical labor, it removes oxygen and nutrients from your bloodstream, and one night of rest cannot recoup that. But he also found out that if you have one full day of rest in seven, that your body is recuperated with the nutrients, the oxygen that it needs, and it's just enough to restore the proper amount so the body is ready to begin a new work week. That's amazing, isn't it? Let me ask you something. You think that's coincidence? No, no. That's providential. God designed us that way. Incidentally, in the Old Testament, while I'm here, I need to talk about this in a minute. This day of rest was on the Sabbath day, which was the seventh day of the week. But today, it's on Sunday, which is the first day of the week. And there are some people, uh, just mistaken, they do this. Erroneously, they, they say Sunday's the Sabbath. The Sabbath is on Saturday, all right? Sunday's the Lord's day. Alright, let's just be clear about that. Now somebody says, well why did you change your day of worship? Well the fact of the matter is, folks, we didn't change it. The Lord changed it. You say, I I don't believe that. Well, there are several reasons, uh, folks, why we worship the Lord on the first day of the week. And I could go in a lot of theological discussion with you, but I'm not going to. I'm just going to give you some scripture. Reason number one, friend, because of new beginnings. Jesus was raised on the first day of the week. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 1. Uh, The Bible was completed on Sunday on the first day of the week. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10. Uh, Jesus gave the Holy Spirit to the church at Pentecost, which was on the first day of the week. The early church worshipped on the first day of the week. Acts chapter 20, verses 6 and 7. The church, the early church took up its offering on the first day of the week. 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 2. But understand, the principle remains the same. There's one day out of the week in which we are to rest and to give our undivided attention, affection, and adoration to God. The third thing, we've seen the labor that desires rest, the Lord who demonstrates rest, but now look at the life that demands rest. And this is where I've been headed to in this sermon today. There's not only a physical rest for the body, there's spiritual rest for the soul. And the Bible, when it talks about rest, it's not only given, it not only has physical connotations, but it also has spiritual connotations. Augustine knew this. He said, Thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Now that's an important principle we need to learn about spiritual rest. God did His work of creation in six days, and when He finished, He rested. Jesus Christ did His work on Calvary in six hours, and when He finished, He rested. Uh, Folks, in fact, all the Trinity had a work to do, and they've either done it or they're doing it. Creation is the finished work of God the Father. Calvary, folks, that's the finished work of God the Son. And salvation, conversion, is the finished work of God the Holy Spirit. So here's a principle we need to learn. Jesus worked, then He rested, so that you and I can rest and then work. So I'm not following you. Stay with me on this. In the Old Testament, people worked for six days and then they rested on the seventh day. But in the New Testament, we rest on the first day and work the next six days. In the Old Testament, under the law, people had to earn their rest. But friend, in the New Testament, under grace, people received their rest from Jesus Christ. You remember the verse, and I know everybody's familiar with this, Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. That verse has so often been misused, misapplied, and misinterpreted. 
See, that verse is speaking about not to, and when you study it carefully, you see this. It's not talking about rest as a reward for the righteous. Oh no. It's talking about rest as a gift for the guilty. Jesus said, all of you who are trying to be righteous on your own, who are trying to go to heaven on your own, and you hadn't made it and you're not going to make it, He said, just come unto me. Lay your works aside and come unto me. Now let me say this, folks. Under the law, you had to work again. You had to work before you could rest. But under grace, you rest before you work. Under the law, you worked in order to rest. Under grace, you rest so that you might work. Now that's why our day of rest is Sunday, which is the first day of the week. And might I say this, technically speaking, folks, Sunday is not part of the weekend. The week does not end with Sunday. It ends with Saturday. A new week begins on Sunday. Sunday was never meant to be part of the old week. It's meant to be the beginning of a new week. That's why we ought to give the first day of the week totally unto God. Folks, listen to me. The best way to start anything, whether it's a new week, a new home, a new marriage, or a new life, the best way to start it is with God. Now what I'm saying is this, and please listen to me. The term rest in the New Testament refers to the salvation we enjoy in the Lord Jesus Christ. That term rest. You don't work for your salvation and then rest after you earn it. No, no. You rest in your salvation and you work for Jesus because you have it. You're not saved by working. You're saved by resting. You're not saved by trying. You're saved by trusting. Now there's a place for trying and a place for working. And I want, I want to make this real straight. I'm not saying that all you do is believe in Jesus and then go out and live any way you want to. That's not what I'm saying. That's cheap grace. Cheap grace justifies the sin. True grace in Jesus Christ justifies the sinner. Let me make this real clear, friend. If you really do love the Lord Jesus Christ, if you truly know Him and personally have a relationship with Him, then you will live like He wants you to live. Not like the world wants you to live or like you want to live. You know, there's a little poem, and you'll live in a way that brings honor to Christ. You'll work for Him in a way that glorifies Christ. There's a little poem I've used many times. I know you heard it, but it's worth remembering. I cannot work my soul to save that work my Lord has done, but I will work like any slave for the love of God's dear Son. Now listen to what God had the writer of Hebrews write down for us about this rest. I'm talking about this rest in Jesus. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1-3. through Therefore, since a promise remains of entering His rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard, those that heard the gospel, the word which they heard did not profit them. He's talking about those who heard the truth of Jesus Christ, but rejected it. Did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as Jesus has said. So I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. Now let me explain that verse real quick. We who enter the rest that Jesus offers in salvation, we do so by faith in Jesus Christ. The gospel message that we hear, that Jesus died for us, took our place on the cross, that He will save us if we turn to Him, that's the gospel message. But we must accept it by faith, believe it, believe in Jesus Christ. Now friend, you ought to go to church. You ought to read your Bible. You ought to be baptized. You ought to pray. You ought to give. But all those things are no good whatsoever unless they are mixed with faith in Jesus Christ. 
the moment you place your faith in Him, you enter into His rest knowing that you no longer work in order to be saved, but friend, you work now because you are saved. I'm going to tell you what James said. James says faith without works is dead, but friend, works without faith are totally useless. They don't mean a thing. There are so many people, and I'm closing right here, so many people who are trying to go to heaven, yet they haven't learned that going to heaven is not a matter of trying, it's a matter of trusting. Folks, they, 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 they haven't learned it's not a matter of working for God, it's a matter of resting in what God's already done for you through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I remember a true story I read about the life of Harry Houdini. You know, one of, well, a lot of people say the greatest escape artist that ever lived. Harry Houdini boasted for years. He said, there's not a pair of handcuffs, shackles, a jail cell straitjacket that I cannot get out of. And he proved what he said. Well, one time, there was a jailer in England. He had a little jail. And he wagered a large sum of money with Harry Houdini. He said, you come over to England, I'll lock you in my jail. There's no way you can get out. Houdini thought, oh, please. So he went to England. They put him in the jail. They shut the door. The media was there. I mean, hundreds of people waiting outside. As soon as everybody walked out, the door shut. Houdini went to work. Usually it would take him about two minutes or less to unlock any lock that he was locked up in. But for some reason, he could not get the tumblers to fall in that, in that door on that jail cell. And he worked not for two minutes, but for two hours. And he began to worry, my reputation's on the line. The people, I'm going to be the laughing stock of the world. He was soaked in sweat. He was absolutely exhausted. And he thought, I need to take a break. And so he quit trying to pick the lock and he just took a break and he leaned against the door. When he did, the door swung wide open. It wasn't locked to begin with. That's why he couldn't get the tumblers to fall. Well, folks, it's so tragic. There are so many people trying to pick the lock to the door of heaven. And they're working at it, and they're working at it, and they're working at it. When all you have to do is just open it and walk through it by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Except the rest that He offers. When He said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. That's what He's talking about. Quit trying to do it on your own. Quit trying to make yourself acceptable and righteous before God. It cannot be done. You need to take a break today. If you don't know Jesus, you need to meet Him today. There's a song, let me close with these words. An old song says, My Savior, Thou hast offered rest. Oh, give it then to me. The rest of ceasing from myself to find my all in Thee. You need a break? You need rest? Come to Jesus today. Would you bow your heads, please? When I say amen, we'll stand as we always do. We'll have a hymn of invitation. The altars here in front of the church will be open. Maybe you need to come this morning and give your life to Jesus Christ. Establish that relationship with Him through grace and faith in Him instead of trying to work to earn it because you cannot do it. You'll never receive rest that way. Or maybe you need to come and rededicate your life because you have put labor and work before that relationship with Christ. Or maybe you need just God to touch your heart today, speak to your heart, 
and reassure you that it's okay to take a break. Father, I pray whatever decision people need to make this morning, they would do so. They would have the courage. They would have the, the conviction uh, to make that decision. And Father, you would make it clear to their heart. In Christ's name, amen. You stand, please. Folks, I think everybody knows this young couple, this Nick and Samantha Juan. They are uh, Bentley and Susan's kids. And then Gemma, the, the newest addition there. Yeah, she's the one that runs stuff. They come this morning desiring membership in our church uh, by letter from Spring Hill Baptist Church. Uh, and I'll tell you, of course, I know many of you folks know uh, these guys and have loved them for years. I've just known them for a few years since I've been here as pastor.